can be dismissed for Children's Church at this time. Grateful to have you here with us today. If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 9, John chapter 9 as they're being dismissed there. Uh, grateful to uh, be able to be together. It's always a good day on Sunday as we get to open the Word of God and hear from it. Today I want to address a reality that many people deal with on a daily basis in their lives. The subject of pain and suffering. Pain and suffering. I heard a story about a shipwrecked sailor who had spent years on a deserted island. One morning he was thrilled to see a boat approaching his island. He had hoped and prayed for this day to happen for so long. And and, uh, then a smaller vessel started to pull out toward him. The boat grounded on the beach and the officer in charge walks up to this man who's, uh, of course, unkempt, been on this deserted island for several years. And he handed this maroon soldier, or sailor, I'm sorry, a bundle of newspapers. The world is this, he thought. And he explained, the captain said to read through these newspapers and then to let us know if you still want to be rescued. (laughs) Can anybody identify with that today? Anybody want to go with me to a deserted island? We'll just live there, amen? That'll be good. Is one of the... Big, biggest stumbling blocks to Christianity is this idea of suffering and pain. Why would, it, why would God allow suffering? I want to read a story this morning in John chapter 9. It's really interesting because there's a question asked and a question answered that really helps us to understand this. The Bible says in verse 1, And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. And Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the work of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. Look at verse number 6. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. Listen to this now. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed and came seeing. I want to preach this morning on the wonder of the word neither. The wonder of the word neither. Father, I pray you'd help us as we look at this great passage and great truths in it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. It was uh, week 19 of their pregnancy. Carrie and Royce Young went to the hospital for a regular routine ultrasound. Their little girl, who they decided would be called Eva, was perfect in her hands, her perfect feet, perfect liver, and all everything else, but not a perfect brain. The doctors told the couple that the baby had a rare and fatal condition. The child would be born without a cerebrum. So when Eva was born, she could live a few minutes or she could live a few days, uh, but she would not live beyond that. They did not have an abortion. These brave parents decided that they would carry Eva to term and have her organs donated. And this is what they said, Eva is going to do more in her 24 hours to help others than we may ever do in our lives. When he was 11 years old, Thomas Blankley was diagnosed with a tumor. Starting in his kidneys, it soon spread to his skin and his lungs and his hip bone. Doctors said there was nothing they could do. And the parents don't know how much time they have with him. And so his family takes pictures and films him. They stare at him and they kiss him. 
They make most of the uh, they make the most of the precious time that they have left. And it's not only children that suffer. Many who live a life filled with pain every day. Another man I read about backs out of his garage not knowing that his daughter is behind him. He backs over his three-year-old daughter. She jumps up for a moment, runs around saying, Daddy, Daddy, why? And then collapses and dies. And that's the question, isn't it? Daddy, why? The big why, the problem of pain, if God is so good, why does He allow it? If God is so powerful, why doesn't He stop it? It's the big why that we often ask. It's the question that haunts the minds of millions in our world today. And it happens to the, many of us as we become adults, we, we become a bit hardened. It can be summed up in a quote by David Gerald when he said, Life is hard and then you die. What a great thought, isn't it? And yet we can look at that and say, that's not really depressing, that's not even pessimistic, that's just the way it is. You aren't a kid anymore. You, uh, this silly romantic idea of those things happen to other people, it'll never happen to me, that's gone. And so we can become a cynic. A little part of you dies, a part that always hoped for a life of joy, of love, of ease. So the question today is, are you still a romantic idealist, or have you grown up and now you're a cynic? Are those the only options we have? The Bible says no, it's not. There's another option that we can choose, and that is Christianity. Because a Christian does not have to be uh, a romantic or a cynic when it comes to trouble. What's interesting about this text is that the disciples are asking Jesus the big why. They just bought, walked by a man who was born blind. And so the question enters their mind and they ask, why? Why is this man suffering? Jesus, the eternal one, the creator of all, he gives the answer to the suffering, but it's not a simple answer. However, it's absolutely critical that we understand it. That's what we're going to attempt to do this morning. The best way to understand what Jesus is saying here is to see the false understanding of suffering that's premised in the question. Remember what the question is, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents, that he was born blind. Now, there are two false understandings of suffering rooted in that question. Stay with me, because we ask the same question, and we often have the same false understandings. Look at what the, we have two false views then. Was it this man that sinned, or was it his parents that sinned? And Jesus is going to refute them both. We can name these two ways of thinking, we can name them the anger track and the guilt track. And both of them are the wrong ways to handle suffering. The anger track, that was asked by, was it his parents who did this to him? If I'm hurting, somebody is to blame. I want to find somebody to be angry at. By the way, this is a fashionable thing even to do today. Blame our parents. That's what we ought to do. I've got a life full of problems. I've got a life full of pain. I'm going to go on Oprah and blame my parents. That's what we do, and we see it all over even today. Uh, folks on the anger track also blame God. God, it's not fair. I see people all around me that are less deserving than me, and yet I'm going through all this. By the way, the anger track doesn't disappear when you become a Christian. The anger track can even intensify then. Now you can say, God, I've given my life to you and now you treat me like this and the anger track can even get worse. On the other hand, you have the guilt track. The guilt track is seen in 
the disciples saying, maybe this man was born blind because he sinned. Now, obviously, God would have to step into the future and say, this man's sin is so rotten, he's so bad, that I'm going to inflict him with blindness at birth. Why is this man in the mess that he's in? The guilt track, it's his fault. It doesn't look outside for blame, it looks inside, the guilt track does. I'm suffering and it must be my fault. It must be because I'm a terrible person. And then, by the way, sometimes the guilt track and the anger track can combine and then it really gets lethal in your life. But Jesus reacts to the guilt track and the angry track and he says, neither. <laughs> the wonder of the word, neither. Neither. What Jesus does is, uh, here is, uh, we, we call it, if you want to get technical about it, a presuppositional analysis. In other words, Jesus takes the unstated premise in the question. Example, another example is uh, uh, in Luke 13, Jesus, somebody comes to Jesus, hey, you heard about this tower. It fell down in Siloam and it killed 18 people. Were those people in that tower worse sinners than everyone else? Why did they die? You see, you wouldn't be answering, asking that question, nor do we ask that question, without the premise behind it that God owes us a trouble-free life. He owes me comfort. God owes me something. That's why we ask the question. Otherwise, we wouldn't ask why are bad things happening. Why did this trouble happen to me? Uh, Jesus refutes that assumption. Now, think about the premise here. Here you have a God who has created you. He sustains your life every second all the time. We therefore, uh, and then if you're saved, he has redeemed you from eternity in hell because of your sin, giving you eternity in heaven. We owe it to him to love him, to serve him, and to obey him absolutely. Yet continually we resent his interference in our lives. Continually we reject his loving authority over our life. Continually we decide that we are wiser than he is when it comes to the choices we make. Continually we resent his rules and we prefer our own desires. He has given us hundreds of chances and again and again we have thwarted his loving authority. The truth be told, we owe him everything. We've given him so little. Now he has an obligation to follow us around and make sure that we have a comfortable life. Jesus said, no, no, no. We, he doesn't owe us that. God does not owe us a trouble-free life. That is very presumptive of us to think. The Bible shows us the relationship between sin and suffering. And it's a complex one, but it, we can reduce it down to the anger track or the guilt track. Somebody did this to me, anger. It's all my fault. I'm being punished. I'm worthless. Guilt. The Bible makes it clear that all suffering comes from sin in general, not necessarily sin in particular. Let's visualize what happened in Genesis chapter 3. I've got a, a visual aid I'm going to help with here in just a little bit. So in Genesis chapter 3, we find the reason that there's pain and suffering in the world. It's because of the sin of humankind. God created man. And uh, to be the, uh, by the way, God created man, uh, God created all the animals. I love this in Genesis chapter 1. And he created the day and the night and he called it good. And he created the, the sun, moon, and stars and he called it good. And on and on and on. And then at the end when he says he created uh, man and woman, he called it very good. I think that's interesting. Little things like that mean something in the Bible. 
And so God created man, and then after that, he created woman. Do you know why he created man first? Anybody? He didn't want advice on how to do it. Amen? So he created man first, and then he created woman after man. So he gave them a perfect environment. And uh, he, invent, he, he created us to be, you could say, and we understand this is like cogs in a machine. You have God, and he created us to be over nature, over the world. He created us, you could say, to be the middle cog in this machine. And when, we go, when we're in our place and we're doing right and we're doing, uh, obeying God and as He orders we do, then these cogs will turn and everything will work smoothly. But what happens if that middle cog decides that I want to raise myself up, I'm going to get out of the place that I'm created for, and in pride decides it's going to go its own way, well, you know what's going to happen. There's going to be a lot of clanging, a lot of grinding, and the machine's going to come to a halt. There'll be a... Bible tells us in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve decided to go their own way. They decided to be their own masters. Now, nature will never again work properly. Because of sin, we have, uh, we have all the problems that we have in the world today. It was never in God's design that we would have hardship. It wasn't in God's design. The weather was perfect. The, uh, there was no weeds and there was no there was no mosquitoes. Somebody say amen. Huh? There was, uh, there was none of these problems in the world. But then sin came. And, but uh, because we decided to live self-centered lives, now uh, it will always be subject to disease, to decay, to death, and to natural disasters. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. And everything in between. One of the best examples of this, by the way, we understand that when bad things happen now, whether it be human evil like murderers or molesters, or whether it be natural evils like cancer or earthquakes, none of this was in God's design. None of it. It's a result of sin in the world. One of the best examples of what we're talking about is the book of Job. <coughs> Job, you know, he's doing right, he's living for God, and all kinds of evil hits him all in a day. He's starting to uh, enter in a tremendous time of suffering, and as a result, two things happen. Job starts to head down the anger track. Now, the Bible says he never cursed God, but if you read the book of Job, you find he was very frustrated. He started to get angry. God, listen, I've lived a good life. There's no reason I deserve this suffering. <clears throat> then he has three friends show up. Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. And they immediately head down the guilt track. So Job's went down the anger track. Now they go down the guilt track. They said, Job, God has to be punishing you for something. You have got to have done something wrong. In fact, here's what they said in Job 4.7. Remember, I pray thee, whoever perished being innocent, or where were the righteous cut off? Listen to their question. Whoever perished being innocent. In other words, they're saying to Job, no one goes through what you go through unless you've done something wrong. Guilt track. You know, I'd like to take these three knuckleheads to Hebrews chapter 11. Whoever died being innocent? Hebrews chapter 11, where the Bible says the prophets, the faithful, were sawn asunder, were slain with the sword, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. Whoever perished being innocent? Lots of people perished being innocent, including your Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But that's what Satan will do to you. When trouble comes, suffering, heartache, got to be your fault. It, you had to do something wrong. It's all on you, the guilt track. 
Now, when God shows up at the end of Job, he slams both of them. He slams the anger track and he slams the guilt track. Listen, we can never say we don't deserve suffering. Not all the suffering that's in the world, it's not by God's design, but it's because of sin. And, and we have to understand, God is not up in heaven counting your sins and dealing out trouble. Oh, look at this. Eddie sinned three times today. Now that can't be true. It would be a way bigger number than that. I'm just picking a simple number for him. He sinned three times today. I got to deal out three sufferings to him. By the way, can I tell you, friend, if God started punishing us for our sin, none of us would be standing at the end of the day. And so it's not about punishment because the Lord punished, put all of our punishment on the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. If there is any suffering in my life, it is not because God is punishing me because all my punishment fell on the Lord Jesus Christ. God does not take two payments for one debt. And so He uh, God is not going to punish Jesus for my sin and then punish me again. So you see the application in then? As a Christian, on one hand, we have to say because of sin, I can never feel that I don't deserve suffering. We know there's going to be suffering because of the sin that's in our world. But on the other hand, if there is suffering in my life, I understand he is not punishing me for my sin. Therefore, there's got to be a plan in it. There's got to be a purpose in it. There's got to be something that God is working out in my life. And that's something we can almost be excited about. He is teaching me in it. And He is walking through it with me as well. Listen, God hates the suffering. He's unhappy with the pain. It's not His design. But what a blessed thing that our God, being sovereign as He is, can take a bad thing and turn it into a good thing. It's an amazing thing. If you forget that suffering is caused by sin in general, self-pity and anger will get you. That's the anger track. If you forget that God does not punish us for our sins... Uh, through suffering because he's already punished Jesus for them, then the guilt track will eat you up. And so all of this is refuted in Jesus' answer to that question. Who was it, Jesus? Is he angry at his parents or is he guilty because of his own sins? And Jesus said, neither. Love it. That's great, isn't it? And now, so Jesus turns it around to the positive. The anger says nobody deserves suffering. It's all unfair. The guilt says I deserve suffering because I'm a bad person. Jesus Christ says neither. Hallelujah. That'd make a Lutheran say amen, wouldn't it? Amen. But now Jesus turns it around to the positive. All right, suffering comes into our lives. It can't be for punishment. Where does it come from then? Jesus' answer is that the works of God may be made manifest in him, or should be made manifest in him. Now, notice those words. Neither, he's already, we already talked about neither, but that. But that. But that the works of God <coughs> should be made manifest in him. Suffering is never for nothing. The words, the little words there, but that, tell us that suffering is never senseless. Never. Now, you have to have some balance here. We already know God does not ever delight in your sufferings. Lamentations, number, uh, chapter 3, verse 3. For he doth not afflict willingly nor grieve the children of men. The, our affliction makes God sad. 
He didn't design the world to be full of pain. But then we also have Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that says all things work together for good to them that love God. We also have a verse like Ephesians 1.11, that God worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. So suffering was not God's design, yet your suffering is governed by God's will. That means he controls it, uh, he controls what's there. He monitors it, if you will. A child of God today can absolutely realize I'm suffering today and that grieves God. However, he's done something in history to deal with that suffering and eradicate it forever. Amen. One day all suffering will be eradicated. Amen for that. Yet I also know that it's not for nothing but that. Neither but that. There's a purpose in it. There's an agenda, and it's a loving agenda. we got to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 50, and we see the ending of the story of Joseph. You know the, the life of Joseph. He's sold into slavery by his own brothers. Uh, he's lied about while he's in slavery by Mrs. Potiphar. He gets thrown in jail, and there uh, he meets somebody who promises to help him, and then he's forgotten again, and he's rotting away in jail for something he didn't do. And all this trouble hits Joseph, and for years uh, he was... Uh, in, in suffering and in trials and in the end, Genesis chapter 50, Joseph said this to his brothers, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. Oh, now listen to that. What he's saying is, I don't blame God for this. I blame you. You meant it for evil. But God is able to take that evil and turn it around for good. God overruled it. He used it for good. And that's an amazing thought. Though God does not want your suffering, though it was not in his original design, yet God governs everything, and so therefore suffering is never for nothing. Wow. Amazing thought. Suffering is always neither but that. Additionally, suffering is always a way for God's work to go on in your life. Again, Jesus said that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Now, after salvation, there's still a work that Christ does in us. There's still a work of redemption. The word redeem means to buy back. Uh, the idea is out of slavery. The word redeem literally means to pay ransom to a kidnapper. You see, in our life, I am in bondage to those things that would keep me from what I need to be and what I should be. I was created to have His spiritual DNA in me, His nature in me. Sin ruined all that. My self-centeredness ruined all that. And so, uh, because it's our desire to be our own master, to be our own savior, and so Jesus said, it is through that suffering that I can buy you out of bondage. Now, stay with me here. It is when trouble comes that we start to see what is really binding us. Let me give you a marriage example. Here's a married couple having money problems. And I, I know there's exceptions here, but most of the time uh, in this situation, the wife may be the strong one. Don't worry, honey, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. She's worried. He's all messed up. He's all stressed out. He's all, uh, he's a mess. Then later there may be child problems, and now he seems to be the strong one. Don't worry, dear, it'll all work out. He might be worried, now she's a mess. And, and, and my point is you, you tend to suffer in those areas in which you set your heart on when they are in jeopardy. And so the things that you've based on your life on, the things that, uh, the, the, these are the things that bind you. 
And when those things are in jeopardy, you feel like your life is coming apart. So listen, dear Christian, the lesson there, if you want to grow in Christ, when trouble comes, ask a different question. Instead of, why, God, am I suffering? God, why am I suffering? But the emphasis is a little different. If you really want to grow, let the work of God develop you. You know what happens in suffering and in trouble? Every time, every time we pray. In fact, we come to Wednesday night prayer meeting. You ought to come to Wednesday night prayer meeting. We pray together. And uh, we put it on the prayer list. God, deliver me from this suffering. Sometimes God doesn't want deliverance for you. Sometimes he wants development. We want deliverance. Oh, we want deliverance. Maybe God wants development. We need to be willing to be developed. You may say, what a cruel thing it is. God brings trouble in your life to show you these things. It's not cruel, friend, because anything that you build your life on apart from Christ, anything you put your hopes and dreams in, it's a sandcastle and the tide's coming in and it's going to take it out. It's temporary. You have to build your life on a rock. Now, how will this lead to the work of God being displayed in your life? Well, it happens this way here. You go through suffering. You go through trouble. When you respond correctly to it, that's understanding where trouble comes from. You're not going down the guilt track. You're not going down the anger track. You respond correctly to it. You decide in your heart, I'm going to learn from this. I want to become Christ-like in this. You trust God in it. You're obedient to Him through it. You're going to find yourself growing as a Christian. You're going to find yourself growing in wisdom. You're going to find yourself growing in compassion. Now, you're going to notice when other people are hurting, you'll minister to them. You'll encourage them not to be angry. You'll encourage them not to be guilty. That's not what it's about. Let God work in their heart and their life. Others will be impacted as they see the love of Christ shine through you. What a thought. All because of suffering. None of us like it. Who likes suffering? Nobody likes suffering. Nobody likes pain. But God can do great things through it. Jesus suffered for me, so I, have, I don't <coughs> have to deny pain. I know it's real. But I also don't have to feel guilty because he paid it all. I don't have to be angry because he's teaching me in it. Eventually, by the way, he's going to eradicate it. Hallelujah. My dad will be with us next week. He's preaching next Sunday night. I, if you have never heard my dad preach, I, I implore you, make every effort to be here. He was crippled at age two. He's had polio his whole life. He's now 70 years old, and he's a preaching machine. Loves God. And one day, he's told me, we're going to run a race in heaven. He doesn't know this, but I'm going to let him win. I'm going to act like he did, but I'm going to let him win. He's never run in his life. He can't run. A bum leg. One day, that pain will be eradicated. Hallelujah. One day, but... While we're still going through, I have to stand back and just marvel at the probably, I know thousands, probably tens of thousands of people that have been affected by, he's going to preach at our conference this week too, but that have been affected and touched by his affliction. God uses those things. And dear friend, if you're going through an affliction today, if you're going through pain and suffering and you can't understand it, can I just tell you today, don't go down the anger track. Don't go down the guilt track. Trust God in it that He'll do something with it. And we don't have to understand it. You know what Jesus does to this blind man? He, he gets him, and this makes no sense. He, he, takes mud, he gets mud wet there, and He puts clay over the man's eyes. 
Now, if the man saw light, which many blind people do, they just can't see, but they might be able to see light. Now he doesn't even see that. And he goes, go down to the pool of Siloam and wash it off. Now, this man has to obey Jesus in the dark. That sound familiar? Sometimes that's exactly what we have to do. Obey Jesus in the dark. We don't get it. We don't understand it. We can't answer the questions. We're trying to avoid the guilt track. We're trying to avoid the, the, uh, the anger track. We don't want to uh, get down further into our sin. But we don't understand, God, why is this happening to me? And we have to get to the point in our life where we're going to obey God even if it is in the dark. Because deliverance is coming. Sight is coming. We've got to just be obedient in the future. Remember, as you look on the cross and you see Jesus, how he handled his suffering, he said, not my will, but thine be done. And then he turned it into a triumph. That's the very reason that we can get saved today. That's how we can spend eternity in heaven with him, because of him going through what he did. And oh, dear friend, without Christ today, let me tell you, suffering is devastating if you don't have Christ. You'll either be a romantic on a collision course with reality, or you'll be a cynic with your humanity ebbing away. Without Christ, you'll either be mad at yourself or you'll be mad at the world when you suffer. Choose to dwell in the wonder of the word, neither. Neither. If you accept what Jesus Christ has said, if you accept Him as your Savior and Lord, there's a way out. We don't have to be on the anger track. We don't have to be on the guilt track. We can trust that He is working it out to our good. It's never easy, but it is comforting, isn't it? To know that God will use it. You'll find your purpose in Him. Let's have every head.